Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon, here with my friend and chavruta, Yerdina Azband. Our daf of the day, Masech Psachim, daf Lamed, page 30. Our daf, uh, I would say, doesn't exactly continue in the same top, in the same, like, focus, but it does have the same underlying discussion. Namely, we're still talking about taste, ta'am, the idea that one substance can give ta'am to another substance, which can then kind of return to yet another one. Uh, this is a discussion of, that we talked about, you know, when we have a drop of milk or some larger amount of milk that goes into a vat of chicken soup, or in this case, we're really going to be talking about the, the vessels themselves and what happens when, uh, you know, food of any particular kind is used in those vessels and then to what extent is that absorbed? Because that's really the discussion here, you know, to what extent is ta'am, taste, absorbed into the vessel and then can that taste flavor be given off back into the next food that it would be used for you know if you think about i don't know garlic or onions or something like that and if you think about a wooden bowl you can imagine that you know if you have something that you really only ever use for onions that you might not exactly rid yourself of that flavor for the next food that might be used in there meaning now you've decided to use it for something other than onions so that's this that's the issue that we're talking about in the case of ta'am so here we're talking about earthenware pots. Amarav, could they wrote Bapesach Yishburu? Rav says that earthenware pots that have had chametz cooked in them on Pesach, meaning this is very clearly a violation of Pesach, should be broken. Yishburu, break them. Vamai, why would you do that? Right? Why is he being so stringent in this case? Lishin hu achar hapesach Use them. He says, let them, the Gemara says, why not leave them till after Pesach? Use them for something that is not the mean, the mean, the, the same type of food. You will have that ta'arovet. You will have the, the taste will be a mixture of two things that don't go together to begin with. It will be after Pesach. There won't be an issue of the chametz shavar lava Pesach in the way that it would be if it would be mingled with its own taste, with its own kind of thing, rather. And so, you know, let it be. You know, you don't break the don't break your pots. Don't break your ceramic pots. What are you going to do? Right? It seems like a bit excessive, a bit uh, over the top. So Rav's concern is that once you have the pots around, you might actually use them for not the, the food that is a no bimino, but actually for the food that is bimino, the same type of food that it, that was the chametz that was the taste was absorbed into the pots. We're, again, we're talking about ceramic and ceramic, you know, if you if you don't have a sufficient glaze now, everything is very pristine and we wash things in a different kind of way. And and there's glass, you know, which we don't have so much of an absorption of taste. But if you think about really like a, a clay pot, a clay pot that that is absorbent as opposed to something that has a real thick glaze on it, then you can imagine that where you have bimino, you end up with the taste of the chametz that went into the the pot now mingling with the the taste of that same thing and now you've got min bimino in a way that was prohibited according to rav he says so don't even don't even risk it what are you going to put a sign on it every day that says i'm not you know you can only use this shalom bimino it's impractical rav's rav is being practical in saying destroy them so that they cannot be used and put you in a position of violation you know of violating the halacha so Shmuel, as we know, is more lenient. Shmuel Amar, don't break them. Aval, mashi lahu, 
Lachar Zmano. He says, leave them until after the time, meaning until after Pesach. And then you can use them, according to Shmuel, the issue would be using them on Pesach when the chametz that is on Pesach is going into the pot. Well, now you've got a problem of, of Isser, right? That's a prohibition. But if you wait until after Pesach, then the, whatever taste has been absorbed by that pot, as far as Shmuel is concerned, is not a concern, not Bamino and not Bashalom Bamino, meaning whatever the mixture is going to be afterwards, it's afterwards, and it's not a problem. His position is more makil. And here we move on to an interesting, I think a very interesting discussion of the Gemara. Moving on from this discussion of pots, now think about it, right? If if you're following Rav's position, you have to break your pots, then the next thing you have to do would be to go buy new pots, right? So Shmuel's practicality is a different kind of practicality. It's in some ways a little bit more frugal. And it also, you know, I would say that if we felt that we had to break our pots every Pesach, I mean, again, you know, presumably there's there isn't a situation of chametz being cooked in your pots on Pesach, but if there were, you know, you end up in a in a much more dire circumstance. So the Gemara continues and takes us further afield from this. Shmuel follows this line of reasoning, namely the Amar Shmuel lahanhu de kande. Shmuel goes and talks to the the pot merchants, right, the people who sell this kind of ceramic pot. Sorry about this. Right? He says, make sure that you're selling things at, the, at, a, at a fair price. Make sure that you're all leveling your prices so that you don't have into, you're not having a price war over who, who can you know, jack up the prices and uh, kind of oppress the person who now, after Pesach, has to buy a new pot. And he says further, if you don't bring your prices down, meaning if you don't keep this in a reasonable way, then I will, he says, I will teach you that the halacha is in accord with, with Rabbi Shimon. Who, what is Rabbi Shimon says? Rabbi Shimon is one, and we have not discussed this at all. Rabbi Shimon's position is you're allowed to get hana'a, you're allowed to get benefit from chametz after Pesach. Right? In which case, Keep your vessels, right? Meaning, why would you ever be machmir to the position of Rav if you could follow the position of Rabbi Shimon that says you could get benefit from chametz after Pesach anyway? Meaning, chametz shavar lava Pesach, you could get benefit from it. Now, we're I think we're more careful for this in practical halacha, but this threat that he's going to paskin in an extremely lenient way so that nobody should come and buy the pots, I think is a really interesting social commentary in terms of what Shmuel understood the community to need and to make sure that, yes, of course, the pot, the merchants were going to drive up the prices because that is how supply and demand works. And he says, don't do it. Don't do it. And if you do do it, I'm going to make sure I'm going to engineer it so the people do not come and buy from you. Well, I think it shows, you know, this was actually a common issue about keeping Pesach, one that we even see today, right? The issue that, you know, certain foods, when they're kosher for Pesach, that month before Pesach, they're three times the price than they are, you know, regularly. And this really made me think about some of the economics that we see today about keeping Pesach itself, right? It's just, it's a very expensive holiday. And it seems that this always was an issue. And when you see Shmuel's position here, you know, that he was willing to go as far as saying, like, I'm really going to give a different Pesach halacha unless, you know, somehow the economics of this can be changed or, 
you know, the, the you know, the, there's no price inflation uh, just because you know that you can. Right. It happens to be the pots are less the issue nowadays because, you know, by and large, anybody who's going to buy pasta is going to do it in a in a secular kind of store. Right. The, it's not about the kosher butcher or the kosher supermarket that's going to price gouge on the Pesach food. But it certainly is an issue for the Pesach food. Right. Exactly. Yeah. No, it's not specific to this, but, you know, to the pots, but definitely just in terms of Pesach in general. Um, I want to move on to something else that's on the bottom of Amud Aleph and goes to the top of Amud Bet. Um, and one of the things I liked about this stuff is we kept seeing a couple of things that we've seen repeatedly. So your favorite dish and makes an appearance here. We also, <laughs> see, we also see the city of Mechosa appears again, but I'm going to read the part about your favorite dish, Kutach. Um, so it talks about, uh, they're talking about a specific type of oven. So there was an oven that they would smear it with like grease from meat inside of it. And I guess it somehow it added the flavor to whatever it is that you're cooking, which makes sense because we know that like grease, schmaltz, all that kind of stuff, it, it's good. That's why people eat it. Astra, rather or I think they're like hickory smoke, right? You can put something in the walls of your oven or the yeah, fire exactly, itself. That like, and, right. Right, exactly. That enhances the taste. The taste. Asra Rabba Bar Ahile Lemechle Lerifta Afilu Bemilchal Olam. So Rabba Bar Ahile said that it was asur even to eat this bread with salt, right? Not even with milk, but in other words, that the idea is like you can't really make fleshic bread, um, and that and that uh, and that basically this it forever what right, you've changed. La Olav, you forever change this oven. Because what's what are they concerned about? They're concerned that maybe you will end up eating bread that was baked in this oven with kutach. And as you said, Anne, while we were prepping this, that kutach is like the ultimate dairy dish. I don't know what was in it. It sounds delicious because I love everything melted cheese. <laughs> oh, I don't think like, it was cheese. I it's, don't think it was cheese. It was some kind of dairy. It was some kind of seasoning. Way. Right. But we know it's that it, last, it, it lasted forever. <laughs> but it was some <laughs> kind of dairy. So the idea is that, that, you know, apparently people often ate their bread in it. Right. It was a, you know, a typical dip that I guess Not people used. Bread. Yeah. Right. So the concern is, is that if you have this oven, that basically is meat now, that's bisari, that eventually someone's going to cook bread in there and not realize that it's like meat bread and then you're going to end up eating it with this very typical, I'm assuming this was like the hummus of the times of the Gemara almost. Like you just, you ate it all the time with your bread. So now the Gemara is going to- Yeah, I, know, I, I relate to it as a little bit less common than that, but because it is this super dairy food, the risk of it, like- it's never, it's, it's too, because the strength of the taste of the dairy of it will never be nullified. So then you have to be very careful that it would not get mixed in a tarovet of ta'am, right? Because the dairy is too dairy. You, right, exactly. So, you know, so this is the, and so this halacha makes a lot of sense. But now the Gemara is going to have an objection to it. Maitre. You're not allowed to knead dough with milk. And this is true even to today. You're really not allowed to have dairy bread. And even if you go to like a grocery store, you know, bread is really not allowed to be dairy. And every once in a while, you'll get like a kosher alert, you know, in, in America, at least. I know it's different in Israel. 
of like a bread that like somehow ended up with like an OUD or something like that. And that's not allowed to be because you're not allowed to have dairy bread. The im lash, but let's say he did need dough with milk. Kol kula asura. That bread is not allowed. Mi haragel avera, right? Because what could happen? You might end up doing an avera, right? You might actually end up, you know, eating uh, bread with meat. And, you know, again, you'll eat it. You'll be eating basar v'chal. You'll be eating meat and dairy together. And then the Gemara goes on and says, right? You can't smear the inside of the oven with the alya, like the fat tail of a sheep, um, because it's also, this is considered to be meat. The im dash, and if you did, it's, this bread is also considered to be asur, right? But now here's the thing that's interesting, which is different than what we went previously. Until you basically kindle off or burn off the fat. So in other words, you can actually fix this oven. Whereas before, you know, what we learned initially was that Rabba Bar um, Ahile said that, no, once you make an oven meat, the oven is always meat. And here they're saying, no, you could actually like, I guess, you know, almost just like burn off the fat itself and then it would be considered to be okay. Um, and so then it goes on to say, right? And then once that oven, you know, it's kindled, it's burnt off, it would be permitted. In other words, you, you're allowed to use that oven again for other types, you know, for part bread, basically. And then the Gemara concludes by saying, So this is like a conclusive refutation to what he said. But really more of what I wanted to focus on here is just the idea of milchik bread and, and fleshik bread is something that the halacha is not comfortable with and that there are certain foods that just sort of by, uh, they just have to be parv because they're sort of just considered such a staple, right? And they're eaten almost with every meal that we just can't have it that you, you would actually have to check. And remember, things weren't packaged the way they are now, you know, where there's a list of ingredients. You would just have a loaf of bread and you wouldn't know was it bisari or was it chalavi. And so, you know, this is, and this is really a halacha that we, we, we keep until today. The one exception that I've seen to this is I have seen, I know the, the dairy one is really a big deal, but, you know, I have recently seen people making like stuffed chalas um, and I've seen them like stuffed with meat and things like that. I never really thought about it until I was reading this stuff. And I was like, I don't know, maybe there is an issue. I mean, here, what they're really discussing is it's, it's making the oven meat, you know, it's not the kneading of the dough itself. Um, but I don't know, it just made me think about that. Like, are you even allowed to make a fleshic bread? I mean, I would think that the same, I've seen also you could stuff, I, we were just talking about this uh, last week, two weeks ago, because of Sufganiyot and everything, right? The Hanukkah donuts. I I was thinking about making a challah that would be stuffed. You know, each each bump would be something else. And for sure, I was going to use dairy. Um, I don't think, I mean... Perhaps I'm wrong here and I'm just overstepping my creative, you know, means and I didn't do it in the end anyway. But I think that it's about the dough, right? We're not, we don't smear our ovens with grease like that. Nowadays, our ovens are bigger than that. They, many people have one oven that can be used both for milk and for flavor. Not everybody does, right? Some people are more stringent than that, but it's certainly a very widely accepted sock that, that you can cook both meat and milk in the same oven, just not at the same time. Um, you know, and some people let it cool down in between and so on. I, I don't think, I would not think that this would be an issue. But yeah, no, but I think, but just raising, 
the fact that it's raised as an issue is just something that we should be sensitive to. Um, right. And the question, of course, like, what if you wanted to use, instead of using oil, let's say, in your challah, you wanted to use schmaltz, right, as, the, as, as an ingredient in your challah? That, I think, would be more tricky than, than stuffing it with a meat that's a, very clearly a separate thing than the bread itself. I would agree with that. I think if it's I, very obviously identifiable, I think that's the point. Meat or dairy. Although that's why I say always, Thomas's English muffins are very dairy. Right. At least they used to be. I haven't lived in America for a long time, but as far as I know, they're dairy, right? But they're so identifiable as Thomas's English muffins that you don't get confused that maybe that's a power of item. Right. I think that's a great example. So even there where it's like baked into it, but you just know that that's something that's dairy. So I'm going to move on to one other thing on the DAF. So the rest of the DAF goes through a variety of different items, knives, the type of other earthenware uh, that's identified by color and, you know, has a whole discussion about how would you go about either being able to kosher it for Pesach, boiling water, fire, and, you know, again, just seeing that, you know, many of these issues about Pesach are still the same uh, that we have um, as well. But um, there was one interesting thing here that I, I wanted to read almost right before the Mishnah. I'm a Rabbi Bar Abba, I'm a Rabbi Chia Bar Ashi, I'm a Shmuel. So any dish you have, like any vessel you have, basically, that you only use it for cold, right? So in other words, because in Kashrut, what we say is, is that when something's heated, it like absorbs the taste or an element of whatever that is, whether it's chames, whether it's meat, whether it's dairy. But if you have something that you've always used for cold, for chametz, you actually can use it on Pesach, which like today with everybody with their triple, quadruple dishes that they have in their homes, you know, you read this and you're like, I don't know, like if I really had like a set of Tupperware that I used chametz and let's say like I and that would include washing it, you know, like I somehow only rinsed it with cold water because let's say it was, you know, I, I stored it with something that wasn't particularly dirty or something like that. Like I only put chametz crackers in it, okay? You know, per the Gemara here, you really are allowed to use that. But then the Gemara gives a very interesting caveat to this, which makes a lot of sense, which says, chutz beit has soar, except for the kli that's used for like the actual leavening. And some commentators say it's actually for like your sourdough starter. In other words, something that has like the most chametzy of chametz things that you could have in it, even though it's cold, but there's something about that process of fermentation, of leavening, that like we're just not going to be able to allow to say that kli you're allowed to do, right? Because it says, Hol right? Because the leavening is very potent. And so then Ravashi also says this would be true of a spice container, right? That let's say you had a spice container that obviously some chametz or flour was also stored in because also the spices somehow are considered to be very potent. But I, you know, I, it just, the idea that you could take something that was cold and really use it. I feel like today, again, with the way that Pesach is actually kept, it, there are people who would like freak out by this notion. <laughs> like they would just be like, there's no way. Chametz is chametz. And like, of course you have to have a totally different set of, of Kalim uh, in order to keep Pesach appropriately. I think everybody would freak out. 
right? Like people Honestly, just freak out. I, like I even I even know about the the you know the leniencies. I've even you know with rabbinic guidance even taken advantage of some of the leniencies. And even so, it's still like a it's a very cool thing to know where you've got heterim. But on the other hand, just just why? Why would you do that? You we keep pace off this way, you know, which I understand. You know, there's this great line about whatever I've always heard in the name of Salvechik and his wife, but I'm not sure that it was really true. I, I don't know who said it. It maybe it went back further generations back than that about, you know, the line of where the rabbi tells the wife that he should, whatever she could do in the kitchen. And she says, you know, you and your shulchan are chafing up my kitchen. Right. Exactly. So, right. Cause in other words, you, you learn how to keep kosher by what you basically do within your kitchen itself. And that's exactly the idea. Um, but again, I just thought, you know, on the one hand, this stuff sort of is like, oh, there's nothing, you know, there's so many similarities to the issues that came about, about how to, how, what to do with many of your dishes and knives and things like that on Pesach itself. Um, and, you know, the idea of price inflation and what do you kosher and how do you kosher it? Um, but then something like this jumps out and you're like, this would just freak people out today. If some rabbi came and said, anything you used only cold, <laughs> you could use it on Pesach. I mean, people would just go crazy. Yeah. And then, and then I think there's another population that is just as glad, you know, like there's a certain population that, that can't really like pay attention to all the different details that, especially if you didn't really grow up with it and you kind of want to keep Pesach, but it's really a lot. Right. So I feel like, you know, I'll give you an example for, I don't have it anymore, but I used to have a, an urn, you know, like a, an urn for hot water. It was only ever used for hot water. Nothing ever went into this urn except for hot water. I never put anything like challah to warm on the top of it, nothing. And I always would have used it also for Pesach. Um, I don't have it anymore because it broke. It broke and hot water came pouring out. Bad plan, don't use it. But that's a different kind of problem, right? That's, it was not a, It was totally um, innocuous for any time of the year. Right. So I think that's a great example. But yet we know so many people who have two urns for Pesach. So I'm, I'm, of course. Right, I'm sure these are of issues course. that we will, you know, continually be revisiting uh, during, you know, during this Masachet. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Rabbi Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this stuff and how it reminded you of how you keep Pesach today on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.